Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, healing your toaster from within. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Seth Nelson. I'm here as always with my good friend, Pete Wright. How do you heal after living through the trauma of divorce? How do you help your kids heal when they live through their own experiences of your trauma? As we wrap up this season, we want to take some time to talk about the healing process. And we have the perfect guest to help us do that. Dee Wallace is a healer. She spent the last 20 years of her career in channeled healing work, becoming an advocate and teacher in the art of self-creation. She's the author of five books on the subject and along the way manages to keep her IMDb current with her over 260 credits, including E.T., Cujo, The Howling, and on and on and on. Dee Wallace, welcome to the toaster. Well, I will try and live up to that amazing <laughs> intro. Thank you. <laughs> we we also, Seth, we got to remind everybody, for our dear listeners, we may have buried the lead with that intro, that Dee also happens to play the role in real life of mother to guest number, uh, episode number one, Gabrielle Stone, uh, author of Eat, Pray, FML. I don't know if you remember that book, Seth. It blew my damn mind. I remember that book. <laughs> And my girlfriend said, and why is that on your nightstand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should have read it from a mother's perspective. That was that my first really question. That blown your mind. How do you read that, D Mom? You know, Gabrielle and I just have that kind of relationship. She studied acting with me. Uh, she never heard me swear in the house. And the first day... In class, she came up and she says, Mom, <laughs> do you swear like that all the time in here? I said, I happen do. I do. Oh, uh, Dee, you can drop the F-bomb. You can say fuck on this show. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we just, we respect each other, which is, I think, the basis of a lot of relationships and what's, what the problem is. We respect each other as individuals who are creating our own life. And I have told her all her life, all I want is for you to be happy. And you do whatever makes you happy as long as that's sending love out into the world and you are not harming another soul. I love that last part about sending love out into the world and not harming another soul. Yeah. My son is 17. We are starting to transition into the friendship aspect of having an adult child, right? When he's 18, yes. technically, right? So um, weird. It's so bizarre. It's it's oh, glorious, it's though. magical. Oh, it is. It, it is. is. It's oh, just... I love my relationship yeah. with Gabriel. Yeah. My, my parents, my mom, she, as our listeners know, and Dee will share with you, passed away this year. But she used to say, my greatest joy was having adult children. Now, right till the first grandkid showed up, which we all understand. <laughs> yeah. But I tell my son something a li little different. I say, I 
obviously would love for you to be happy all the time. But if you're happy at a funeral, you're a psychopath. Yeah, right. Like something's wrong <laughs> yeah. with you. Okay. Yeah. So I always say, don't like search for happiness because sometimes it's everyone thinks it's right around the corner. If I just get that fancy car, if I just get that promotion, if I just get that raise, I'll be happy. Right. But are you living a fulfilled life? Are you content on where you are? Are you going in the direction, right? Yeah. And besides, happiness starts within you. That's right. Everybody thinks they're going to be happy when they get the guy or they get the car, they get the job or they get the money. You know, wherever you go, there you are. So whatever creates your unhappiness in the core of who you are, If that's not addressed, nothing's going to fill it up. Ultimately, ultimately, you will find a way back to your unhappiness. Pete, you're looking kind of sad there. Like, what's going on? <laughs> no, you got it. Well, of course, you got. Of course, I'm. I am. Uh, uh, you've you've unleashed uh, the wave of melancholy because you know it's at, at the same time that I'm thinking about. You know, my we just had our Thanksgiving for the first time. My daughter came home from college, and it oh. was as it, it was exactly that. Like, it's weird because this is a new relationship. Uh, that I've I've never experienced with this person that I've known all her life, and it's it is incredibly special. And also, uh, it it reminds me of holding her when she was one, and that wave kind of comes over you. But the other thing that gets to me um, uh, to something you just said, D, is that there are moments that I go through the day that remind me that I am allowed to feel that joy manifested by myself. Right. That that yeah. it doesn't have to be a search for some other accomplishment, some other achievement. It can be uh, that that can it's OK for me just to feel joy. Well, not only is it OK, it's the highest state of happiness and joy that you can manifest because I can sit here in my office and just decide to feel joy and happiness. I don't have to have a reason. And I have a, a lot of exercises that, that I teach with my clients about this. But I want to address one thing that you said. How about if we look at relationships as expanding into new dimensions instead of it being new? Talk more about that. Talk more about that. Well... I think that's the problem with a lot of reasons for divorce is because we we get married and and I was me and he was him and then we evolve and life evolves and kids come along and challenges happen it's it's a place of constant evolvement. And if you don't adapt to that evolvement, if you're not open, if you're not communicating about that involvement, then you want to leave. I am inspired to a metaphor, and it's mostly because of the print that's behind you, that in in terms of expanding into new directions, we, and I think about my own, I've been married for 20 years, and right. I think about my own marriage, and early on, there is this thinking that it's going to be a great tree, and something else happens in your life, and there is this momentary experience where I think, oh, that's going to be a new tree, 
next to the tree. But it's not a new tree. You can't ever escape the one tree. You are a, yeah. just more branches of the same tree. Exactly. A- along with that, Pete, yeah. is, and, th- and I think the tree analogy, because it's a beautiful print that Dee has behind her of this very colorful fall-like setting, is the core of that tree. Like the trunk and the roots is what keep it stable. Yeah. Right? And it will go into different directions and you can't control it. And sometimes it's controlled by other things. Where's the sun at that time? Is there shade blocking it? And that is just what happens in life. Like Dee says, kids come along, jobs change. You have all these stresses, but can you take on those challenges and stay true to yourself and don't lose who you are individually while at the same time managing that relationship that we call marriage? Well, I think you have to. Otherwise, you're not happy. If you give up you to take care of everybody else, if you give up you to make somebody else happy, then you're going to end up in resentment. Right. Can we take a step back, Dee, and establish your bona fides on the subject uh, of divorce? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I've been divorced three times. So you... Pete, uh, you know what we call that in my business? Tell me. A pro. Uh, uh, yeah, a pro, a pro, a frequent flyer. Like, I literally have like the donut cards that if you get three divorces, the fourth one's on me. And I, I they're little heart shaped. They're little heart shaped punch outs that I do because it's so clever. You so know, clever. So, yeah, right. That's right. But, you know, I respected and admired every one of them. Every one of my divorces was amicable. We each split the bills. Uh, Seth, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, actually, on, on, in hindsight, I don't want D as a client. It's too easy. <laughs> I like the tough cases. <laughs> but it, I think it's important that if you feel that you're not growing anymore, and part of that is because of the demands of the relationship that is put upon you, then Something has to change or you have to leave because I'm not going to stop growing. I'm not for anybody. I'm here to experience the greatest D. Wallace, Deanna Bowers that I can ever be. And that means ongoing, 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 ongoing expansion. But exactly what you just said, if I take it a little broader, you have a boundary that you set up yes. so you don't lose who you are. You are more obviously ready, willing, and able to get into a relationship, right? But you have conditions on that relationship. Yes. And that is a boundary. And those boundaries are healthy because you're saying, this is who I am. I'm willing to share portions of my life with you, but this part's not changing. Absolutely. And there are times in my marriages where I have changed because it was worth it to me to change, to stay in a relationship that I loved. But I never gave up who I was. I could adapt to some of the things they wanted. See, I think really, guys, if I can get really deep here. Here we go. Okay. Scientifically, we're made up of water, right? We're over 90% water. And 
Water retains its memory from the beginning of time. And there's my dog. <laughs> Everybody say hi, freedom. Um, so for most of those years of memory, women have been secondary citizens. Women have been property. And it's hard and it's challenging for the male species, I think, to recognize what they're bringing from all those forefathers that came before them that are really still kind of a part of their genes. I was just having this conversation, Dee. Oh, well, good. I'm glad I brought it up. Yeah. I was talking to a woman about different views of marriage. And she says to me, why would I want to be chattel? Why? It, well, like, there's a perspective just, she needs to change, too. <laughs> I was just started laughing because she's hilarious. But she was making your same point. Even today, on first marriages with young couples, a guy might go to the woman's father and ask for permission to marry. Like, first off, I don't understand why anyone does that. Because it's hard enough to get a woman to say yes. Why are you going to get try to get two people to say yes to this idea, right? But it's never the woman going to the guy's family. So these kind of old property concepts yeah. still filter through in how we behave today. Yeah. And I think that it is really important for the two individuals getting married to cast those aside and say, no one's going to define our marriage. Yeah, thank you. No one's going to define our relationship with each other, especially these bullshit societal pressures that we're under. And flipping this to divorce law for a moment, when I got divorced, the great state of Florida, in all of their brilliance, required one parent to be named the primary residential parent. And the other parent what? was the secondary <laughs> parent. This is in the last 15 years when I got divorced. Okay. Just another markup for Florida. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Let me say, yeah. Let me, I love my state. Let me tell you. Oh my God. Okay. So, literally, on my divorce decree, it says that I am a secondary parent. And people would, go to court and they would argue over this bullshit designation. And when I signed it, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Boop. And they're like, what? I said, there's no way in hell I'm letting a bunch of fat old white guys in the legislature that passed the law that was signed by a governor define my relationship with my son. You bet. That document means nothing to me. Boundary. It's Boundary. That's right. That's right. That's right. But it's the same in marriages. Yes. And the woman, the woman has responsibility in this too. Because if she buys into that, then she's responsible for creating that in the relationship, isn't she? And, you know, so much of this, and I know I'm on really freaking thin ice here, but so much of this comes from religion, old and new. I just had a young client's 
of mine. Well, he's more of a friend than a client. And he just got engaged. They read from the good book, the passage about how a woman belongs to her husband and must bow down to what the husband wants. And I'm sitting there. (laughs) I think it takes a lot to get de-speechless. And that was one of them. Right. And I don't judge. I'm not judging, but I'm saying the both partners have to know who they are and what they believe before they go in. I know you can speak for yourself, but as a lawyer, I love speaking for others. So (laughs) I think what you're saying is... I said what I was saying. But aren't you also saying that relationship's really doomed? We got a problem here? No, I'm not. I'm saying there's not a lot of room to change. There you go. And grow if they go into the marriage with that agreement. How often do you bait your wife, Pete? How often do I obey my wife? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything we do, Seth, is handled by uh, calendar invitations. And so I either <laughs> accept or deny or I do or not want to see the I do not want to see the emojis on that one. <laughs> what about so the night you have sex, are there little naked emojis on there? <laughs> no, D, that's scheduled as business time. And 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 I have to say, we have kids, so of course it's not nights we have sex. It's like Wednesday at two thirty, but it's definitely agreed upon. Daytime Uh, sex is good. I I think this gets to this gets to one of the things that I, I that I love so much about what about your work in terms of becoming an advocate and an, uh, an, an empowerment speaker for rebuilding uh, after after trauma and after things that that challenge us in our lives and and um, this idea I, I was introduced to this concept not long ago on another show of capital T versus small T trauma and I think divorce fits both. Uh, definitions. So, just for the sake of how I understand it, capital T trauma is the 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 major singular event, transformational event. Right? That is the uh, the the car accident. That is the the sudden loss of a loved one. That is a, a you know a sudden something sudden that happens in your life that that changes the trajectory of it in some way, shape, or another permanently. It is re- requires immediate recovery, and the small t trauma is the the constant and pervasive and building compressing trauma that that you get daily and it might be manifested in terms of anxiety and depression it might be in terms of okay i would really like to address this okay okay everything's energy we all learned that in fifth grade energy is always has been always will be is everybody in agreement with that i concur okay energy is neutral it's not positive. It's not negative. It's ju- it just is until we give it a direction. Now, I'm responsible for directing the energy of me. I get to choose my thoughts. I get to choose my feelings. I get to choose my perspectives. So I'm busy creating me. I would like to suggest 
And the Dalai Lama kind of backs me up here. He he has an interesting take on trauma. He said, you know, it's not the thing that happens that creates the trauma. It's your reaction and your story that you keep telling about your trauma. That's what's traumatizing you the most. Two years ago, my daughter and I were doing a film together. And she pulled up at 6.30 a.m. And I went, well, how nice. She's coming by to, to go to the set with me. She walked in. And the minute I looked at her face, I said, what? What's, what's up? And she gave me the news that my younger brother had just committed suicide. Now, in that moment, I have a choice. I can dissolve into tears and weakness. I can go, oh, my God, why? How could he do this when my dad committed suicide? How could he do this? There's a million different ways that I have a choice to respond. And I looked at her. And she put her arms around me and we had a cry. And we got on the phone and we called all the family. And then I looked at her and I said, and now we go to the set and shoot, right? And she said, yeah, Ma. we go to the set and work. And that's what we did. But. Again, so many people erroneously think they do not have a choice. So, D, on that point. Yes. In the military, military members celebrate what they call a live day. And it's the anniversary of the date when that veteran almost lost their life in combat. Oh, wow. They call it their alive day because I'm still alive and I'm still here. And look, my life is dramatically different than where it was before that roadside bomb blew up, right? Yes. But it's my alive day. And that's exactly what I think you're talking about in the civilian world. Yes, that you, you can choose to stay alive. You can choose to, okay, this was shitty and this is definitely affecting my life. I'm not going to deny that. And what do I want to choose? What do I, do I want to choose to go on? Do I, you know, I have clients that seriously, seriously 20 years later are still talking about that day, whatever that day was. And Dana Wiles, I, I love how she puts it. She says, you know, there's nothing wrong with your story, except you keep telling it. <laughs> That's right. It, it, sorry, if I don't you're think telling that, that feels like a last line. <laughs> it's amazing. I want that on a shirt. But it's, isn't it true? Yeah. And every time you tell it, you are directing your energy to hold on to it and define yourself as it. If you're telling that story 20 years later, you've missed 7,300 other days yeah. that you're not talking about. Wow. Did, 
Yeah, oh, count on it. You it, just as a lawyer, that is that can you bill moment? it that yeah, rate? Um, yeah, I wish. I wish, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, I'm impressed. Well, this is this well, gets true or not. It sounded good. So. I, you know, I really, I, I mean, I, I really, um, I, I relate to this idea of the of of you know, uh, sort of taking the taking the choice, like making the choice of, of, of how you're going to respond to a, to a trauma. And I think this gets to, like, this is why I was leading into divorce satisfying both needs, because I we run into this experience when you're finished with a traumatic divorce, uh, having not experienced the, the, uh, the, the idea of making a choice to live, making a choice to to not be burdened by that day the divorce happened by that day yeah. there was such loss in my life and and instead living with things will never be the same as if it's a bad thing exactly exactly it's an expansion yeah it's a it's a a, a new chapter in a book yeah a new branch on our tree on my favorite yes. tree and here's the other thing that there's positive things that come out of divorce that people just don't think about, you know? Yeah. All right, D, you're raising your hand. You go. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, there are. One that I know in my life is my son has an amazing stepdad. We actually call him bonus dad when we're just chatting oh, with him. He's Steve. Great. But you can't have too many people that love your kid. What a right? great and, perspective. Uh, and so, and, and I've had the joy of having, see, Pete, even D. Wallace is agreeing with what I say. I know, it's got to be killing, killing you, brother. That. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> and I've had the joy of having other um, children, not biologically my own, feel like to this day that they are. I love them so much. And, yeah. and that's just an expansion. And, but you allowed that, you see. You allowed that to happen. You allowed yourself to accept that man. You allowed that relationship between he and your son. Yeah, he's he's awesome. You know, you could have been an asshole about it. Yeah, I've fucked up so many other things, D. I had to get one thing right, you know? <laughs> that is that is actually settled science. Um, let me ask you another question, uh, D. Related to all, of, uh, to, to all of this, there is this question of grief. How does a grieving process fit into to this? I mean, you and Gabrielle went to work, but at somehow, at some point, you you grieve. Oh, sure. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks different for every person. Every person grieves differently. My younger brother had been a severe alcoholic like my father. So I kind of watched him kill himself before he did. You know, it wasn't, I have to say, a huge surprise. When my husband, Gabrielle's daddy, died, that was a whole different grief process for me. That was the loss of a soulmate, right? I guess I just learned at a very early age, and I learned from two incredibly strong women who raised me. Your job is to go on. And I had a little girl to take care of. And I had a little girl to make sure I did everything in my power to take time to talk to her, 
to read books about death with her, and then to create, at the same time, a lot of happy moments so that she didn't learn to just dwell in the grief. And I think that, again, is a choice. I'll tell you, one of the biggest grief moments of grief I had is when I lost my last dog. Mm. Funny. I know. But we were soulmates, that dog and I. Mm -hmm. And the, the dog I have now, soulmates. It's it's a huge loss. And when I I was holding her as they put her down, my last dog, and I probably wailed in that office and they left me there for about 20 minutes. And then I came home and I got out some pictures and chose which one I wanted to honor her with and had a great thing made up. And, you know, I took some positive steps to honor what I had lost so that my grief started taking a different turn, a different expression, if you will. But I think a lot of grief comes when we define ourselves as victims, you know? Yeah, that's true. Well, and that gets us back to the divorce process. I mean, especially uh, to Seth, like the walking out of your lawyer's office, not only do you feel like a victim of your own marriage, but a victim of the process. Like it's hard and invasive and victimizing. Well, I guess it can be. It wasn't in any of the three ma- uh, divorces that I had. So I don't think it has to be. It certainly does not have to be um, that way. It certainly is. Um, to the point where people will say, I'm never getting married again because I'm not going through that again. And I explained to them, the divorce was what really sucked. (laughs) Like there were times in the marriage and things broke down, but, um, and, and I think on this same front though, Pete, when you're talking about and D what you're saying about how you choose to grieve and how you can honor things that are lost you can still honor the relationship that you had in the good times that you had. And the children you made together. That's right. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, probably sending an anniversary card might not be appropriate, (laughs) but (laughs) I mean... Well, it uh, depends on if you guys still have a sense of humor about it all. That's right. That's right. (laughs) You know, that's right. which... I've counseled couples that just have a really great sense of humor and they they got that they could still be really good friends, right? That didn't work out so great as a marriage per se, but as friends, it's awesome. This past Thanksgiving, just a, a week or so ago, my former spouse invited me to spend Thanksgiving with her, her family, extended family. My son was there. So I came down, brought some great wine, one in one of the big, big bottles, you know, and it's 12 o'clock on Thanksgiving day and her and Steve and I were there. Everybody else uh, was doing things. And Steve and I had been counting down like, okay, we'll start at noon. Like, and I'm like 15 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go. (laughs) 
I opened up the fridge and she just happened to be standing next to me. And I look at her and I said, how are you on commitment? And she looked at me like, what are you about to say? (laughs) And I, I pull out the big bottle, the like jumbo one, not the two regulars. And I said, you think we can commit to finishing this bottle? And she goes, absolutely. (laughs) See, that's what I mean. But again, we're back at choice. You're choosing to create and nurture that relationship. And the choice always comes first. Always. Everything's a choice. And it is a choice. It is a choice. And, And there's, there's, there's a million things that she has done that made choices positively over the last 15 years that have led to the friendship that her and I have to this day. I've, I've made choices uh, along the way, and I got the nicest text from my former mother-in-law that said, Aww. basically, you know, it was great seeing you. We're so proud of what you've accomplished and, and, and everything you do for the kids and, and our friendship. So, and those are just choices you make along the way. Oh, that, you bet. See, it doesn't have to be traumatic. We're dealing, we're dealing with some similar things. I want to talk back to the kids. I, I'm just having this, this flashback to, you know, watching my own uh, kiddo go through relationships and, and one ended. And uh, she's trying really hard to make the choice for friendship uh, and is running headlong into the cultural sort of expectation of propriety in friends early, you know, late teens, early 20s that used to be dating and parents thinking, oh, this isn't necessarily, you should make sure you take somebody else. So there's always a third wheel. You don't want it to be inappropriate because, you know, you have a new girlfriend now. You have a new boyfriend now. You don't want them to get nervous or anxious. And I'm, I have a, a real hard time with that. I have a, a hard time. Well, I would look at them and say, thank you for sharing. I'm good stealing that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like so much of that goes back to you know what you were saying about Corinthians that it is it is it is aged it is it, like old fashioned and it's okay for it to be antique and move on. It's okay to offer yeah. our kids rebuilding and healing after after loss, even if it's the, it could be the loss of a parent, it could be the loss of a relationship to go forth and make that choice positively. That's right. In hanging out with your former spouse, people would ask me like, how do you do that? Or like, they'd be like, literally they say, this is really weird, but it's amazing. It's good. This is what it should be. But they always start with the weird. And we always think it's really not that weird for us. Yeah. And then someone asked me once like, oh my God, I saw your girlfriend hanging out with her ex-husband. You know, does that make you nervous? And I said, out of all the guys, in the world, <laughs> that's the one I'm no, least worried about. No, yeah. She's been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, and <laughs> sent the postcard, baby. <laughs> my first husband came in and studied acting with me for two years. One of my husbands and I, are uh, that was Gabrielle's stepdaddy, very good friends. He just called me the other day, and we spoke for about a half an hour. You know... You get to define your life to a large degree how you choose to do it. Now, if somebody's getting 
if I'm a battered wife, I'm not going to stay. Right. Different choices. And I'm not going to want to include him in my life anymore. Because if I love me, and I think this has to be the guiding mm, pivotal thing that we ask ourselves, is this in alignment with loving myself? Does this feel good? Is is this going to make me feel good about me? And if it's not, you walk away. There you go. But see, women are taught to give ourselves up for everybody else, guys. Well, that's what that's what I was going to ask. When did you start figuring this stuff out? Because, I mean, now you say it, you're old hat. You're teaching it. You're doing all this stuff. But at some point, you had to learn this, right? Like, at some point, you, too, had to shake the yoke of, of tradition. Yes, and I was brought up in a very traditional Methodist home. Um, and my mother stayed a lot longer with my alcoholic father than she ever should have. And her answer to me when I asked her after he committed suicide was, I stayed for you kids. And I looked at her and I said, gee, I wish you hadn't. That's what all the kids say. Every one of them say, yep. Everyone. Do you know the trauma Every single night, I lived through the trauma of my dad getting drunk, stripping off all his clothes. There's a nice sight for a middle school kid, huh? And belligerently going after my mother for three hours. Never hit her, never touched her. But the yelling and the the emotional abuse, you know... That's probably what did it, because I said, I'm never freaking ever going to stay in a situation where I'm not respected and honored, ever. And people don't realize, the common theme that I hear is, I stayed to protect the children from that, from the father turning the rage on them in this story that Dee's telling Pete. Yeah, well, I'd get out and take them. Right. Whatever, what they sometimes don't realize is seeing the trauma on a daily basis also has an impact. There's other choices, right? I think. Um, So, and and look, I know, I know that we're, so everyone's like, really, how can you get along with your former spouses? It's so rare. It takes two. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not saying that it's easy at first and maybe some space and some boundaries are, are certainly appropriate at, um, to get to that point. And kids do not do well when there's conflict, whether it's a war-torn country, whether it's being in a home where there's conflict, that's where the problems come with kids. It's not divorce. Divorce, when you look at the studies, when they're high conflict, that has the negative impact on the children. Oh, you bet. And and when there's not, it doesn't have to be. Not only that, but most people don't know this. How we see ourselves, how we see our ourselves in the world, and how we see the world seeing us, totally locked into your brain by eight years old. 
eight years old. Yeah. So whatever you are verbally teaching and modeling to your kids forms their entire life. That's why, Pete, eight years old, short Jewish bald lawyer. I was going to make I was that locked joke. In. I was locked in, baby. Oh, I hate that. Oh. You got to be quick, Pete. You got to be quick. <laughs> oh, you guys are hysterical. Oh, my God. Well, I'll tell you, Dee, uh, you've got, you're on the, uh, you got to talk about your, about Born. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You've got five other books you've already done, but now this is a whole new thing. What this is, is a primer. It's a summation of all my other books and everything that I know. And it literally is a formula that's easy to understand. And it's a lot of fun to read. That will tell you exactly how to create and manifest your life. Whether it's money or relationships or success or health, all those things. Um, There is a formula and it's easy, guys. Creation is easy. I often jokingly say, you know, God created the world in seven days. How hard could it be? Right? (laughs) (laughs) but you have to know that you're the creator of you on this plane we're given free will and free will comes with choice which we've been talking about all hour so i got up one morning during the pandemic when all the studios were closed and i said okay what can I create today? And the first thing I heard was write the book. Yeah. So I did. Outstanding. I had that same experience during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With another box of wine. I woke up and I said, what can I create today? And the word milkshake popped into my head. And he did. I would have liked that one too. I would have liked that one too. And I masked up and I went to the supermarket and I got the supplies, baby. Well, born is a, is a good milkshake for creation. Like that. Did you like that little? That was really nice. I love You're that. A pro. That was awesome. And I also have a beautiful, beautiful little children's book called Buffalopaloo and the I Love Me's. I love it so much. And it's about this little bear that it's going to be a series of books. And the first book teaches about choice and how the little boy, you know, doesn't know that he has the right to choose who he is and he has the right to define who he is. And wouldn't we all have been a lot happier in life if we had been taught that when we were young? It's kind of a, a comp accompaniment to the adult book, you know. I know how important it is to reach children at an early age with these messages. My son was three years old. And we got divorced when he was two and a half. And he was kind of sad. And I said, what's going on, buddy? He goes, well, dad. When I'm with you, I just miss mommy. I'm so sad. Oh. And like my heart just was like, ugh, yeah. as a dad, I'm trying yeah. to do the right thing. And I said, this like saved me. I said, Well, how are you at mommy's? And I was hoping he was gonna tell me he was happy, right? 
And even though it was going to crush me, like, oh, and he goes, no, when I'm at mommy's, I miss you and I'm sad. (gasps) And I said, well, buddy, you've got a choice. When you're at mommy's, you can be happy and excited that you're with mommy because that's how I am when you're with mommy. I'm excited and happy you're with mommy. Of course, I miss you, but I'm happy for you. And then when you're here, you can be happy you're here with me and we can miss mommy. We call her every night, you know? I said, you got a choice. Do you want to be happy or sad? And he just looked at me and goes, I want to be happy. Never came up again. Love it. That's exactly what the book is about. It's exactly, Oh oh my God. Good for you. So he calls his mom every night and then I called her back after he was in bed and she's like, hey, what's going on? I said, I just want to tell you we had this conversation because I'm you know, trying to be keep her informed. And she said to me, and this was really like first six months after divorce or so, right? So it was still raw. And she goes, thank you so much for telling me because he's been sitting here telling me how much he misses you when he's with me. Oh. And it's been tearing my heart out. And I, it's good, but you know, but it also shows how early they can have those lessons impressed on them. That was that's such an incredible message. Yeah. Let me tell you, kids, kids are more aware than we ever. They pick up everything, and that's what I mean. You taught him a lifelong lesson there. Well, I got one thing right, D. Oh, I'm thinking you probably have a few more than that, dude. Beautiful way to wrap up. Although, if you don't mind, I would like to plug something else I'm a big fan of. And that is, this year is the 40th anniversary of the Howling D. And you can get, Seth, I know you're going to get over to Amazon right now. You can get the uh, Blu-ray Collector's Edition, Limited Edition Steelbook uh, version of the howling could be yours, but you better get it before it sells out. And the 4K is amazing. The 4K version. And I'm just saying, Pete, hold on, D. Okay. This is important because okay. he's sending me to Amazon to get this. I'd like to point out we're recording this, and Hanukkah is not over. <laughs> and I've been going to my mailbox every day. He got you there, baby. <laughs> Waiting yeah. for that 4K. Oh, God. Why do I do this show? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's uh, great. D, you are a treasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's been stimulating and interesting and a lot of fun. And not like most of the interviews I do, which was really refreshing. Thank you. Oh, and I started saying next year is the 40th anniversary of E.T. I know. Oh, my goodness. That's right. oh. I, I either feel very accomplished or very old. So I'm going to choose. Choose accomplished. That's right, baby. That's right. Right. <laughs> choose accomplished. That is well-deserved accomplished. D. Wallace, National Treasure and E.T. and The Howling and Hills Have. I'm come on. Forget it. What are you, are you working on anything right now? Are you working on any, uh, the studios opened up again? You are you masking up and going to work? Oh yeah, I have uh, three films coming out, and I have a beautiful little Hallmark movie on right now called Every Time a Bell Rings. Ah, lovely. Look at that. Yeah. All right. Nice. Where credits where credit is due. 
And my book, you know, just launched uh, two days ago. So all of the links, uh, especially links to jump in and buy that book will be in the show notes. Uh, everybody, thank you so much. Thank you, Dee Wallace. You're a delight. Thank you, Dee. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Love you guys. Love you guys. And thank you, everybody, for uh, downloading, listening to this show. We sure appreciate it. On behalf of Dee Wallace, I'm Pete Wright. And you know you know this guy, America's favorite divorce attorney, Seth Nelson. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.